And while James is going to shortly come and bring God's word to us this evening, it's from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 14, verses 1 to 23. And if you've got a, a red church Bible, then that's on page 283, 283. That's 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 1 to 23. Says one day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah, under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about six hundred men, among whom was a hijack, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Seneh. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash, the other towards the south, uh, towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of the uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor-bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, come then, we will cross over towards the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed him, killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field, and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah in Benjamin shore the army, melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, Muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor-bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God. At that time it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. 
those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So the Lord rescued Israel that day and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. Well, just as James comes up to speak to us, I'm just going to pray. Father in heaven, thank you that because of Jesus, we have been adopted into your family and we serve your kingdom here on earth. We thank you for your words and the way in which it guides and leads us in your ways. We pray now for James as he comes to speak. Father, may you give him the strength and the words now as he opens up your word to us. Would it cause us to be challenged and encouraged and moulded more into the likeness of Jesus? We ask in his name. Amen. Well, uh, this week we have come to our halfway point in our series in 1 Samuel. And um, we finished with the first part of chapter 14 which is a story of secrecy, a mission, and heroes. It could be a plot for a pretty great spy movie. A hero's son and a trusted sidekick sneak away on a secret mission to take on an army of 600. I think it's definitely a movie that I would want to go and see. However, in this film, like all big films, there's a big twist. And we, as, as we've just read, it's when God steps into the situation. And this is the most important plot thread of the whole movie. And this is the one we're going to be looking at this evening. We see the main character fully put his trust in God. And he's able to do that only because he knows that anything is possible with God. And if you don't know that anything is absolutely possible with God, then you can't put your trust fully in him. We need to understand the awesome infinite power of our God so we can trust him to save us. Well, in this chapter we read of two men, one who fully trusted God with everything and one who trusted on his own understanding to save himself. And just a a little flashback to last week, uh, we saw, last week we saw Saul's failure, his failure to trust God. And when the word of God leaves at the end of the previous chapter, we're left thinking, what would we have done differently to Saul? What, what, what kind of person would have acted differently? Well, at the start of chapter 14, we're introduced to this new character called Jonathan. We briefly saw him in the last chapter with his father, King Saul. Now, the writer's attention uh, turns from being fully focused on Saul, uh, now zooming in to his son, Jonathan. And we read in the first few verses that Jonathan's got an idea to go over to the enemy camp the Philistines. What a crazy idea to sneak into the enemy camp. Well, Jonathan had a taste of adventure in him, and he said to his armor bearer to go over with him. I'm sure you can imagine the scene for yourself, with you and your best friend having a crazy plan to do something that you'd never have done alone. But Jonathan didn't just have his armor bearer with him. He also had the all-powerful God of the universe on his side. Well, we've got two points this evening. 
Firstly, know who God is. And secondly, trust fully in God. So know who God is. In this chapter, we see Jonathan, son of a king who has disobeyed God. So naturally, we would be expecting Jonathan to be no different. We see that Saul, in chapter 13, verse 13, was rebuked by Samuel. Samuel said, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command of the Lord, the Lord your God gave you. This is a firm rebuke from, from Samuel, and it doesn't stop there. He goes on, he says, if you had, you would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. Then Samuel left. The word of God left. So for chapter 14, we should be reeling from the shock of the last chapter. When we're introduced to Jonathan, we surely can't be holding out much hope. Well, we read in the passage that Saul is sitting under a pomegranate tree. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? Relaxing. Well, his dynasty and his kingship are lying in tatters around him. The last of his army, only 600 men, are gathered together. And amongst them, the writer introduces us to Ahijah and his whole family tree. And we've learned that Ahijah is from the priestly line of Eli. Remember Eli from chapter 3 and 4? And he's Eli's great-grandson. But this family tree is full of failure and rejection. His uncle, Ichabod, who's a great name, was a boy named No Glory. Ichabod was a son of Phineas, the meat-loving, woman-chasing priest. And Phineas was the son of Eli, whose line would be judged and excluded. So the current leadership setup we've got going on is Saul, who is a king, but his dynasty has been rejected. And he's assisted by Ahijah, whose priestly line has been rejected. What help can such a king and such a priest give? Well, in these first verses, we've seen a plan that is secret, the leaders who are rejected, and the place that is impossible. So the scene is set for the hero to walk in and save the day. And from the small snapshot we had earlier, Jonathan wants to go over to the Philistine camp without his father knowing. Now, in verse 6, if you look with me, we've got the billboard statement for this action movie. It says, Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on, in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Well, all films have their tagline, a little phrase that tells you something about the film. One of my favorite films is uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and the tagline is, one man's struggle to take it easy. In the film Jaws, we think of, you'll never go in the water again. Ghostbusters, we're reminded of one famous question, who are you going to call? Well, for this film of Samuel, 1 Samuel 14, we have our tagline right there in verse 6. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Why would Jonathan put his life on the line and go over to the Philistine camp? Well, I think we've got two reasons uh, for his faith. The first one is he knows he is one of God's people and that the Philistines are not. We see this again in verse 6. He says, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. 
We see his knowledge of the covenant God has with his people. And that gives him faith. The second is he knows the power of God. He understands that absolutely anything is possible with God's. It's not just an expedition flowing from teenage bravado, but from rock-solid faith in God. And in Jonathan, we see the quality that Saul so clearly lacked. In the last chapter, we see Saul panicking because the people were scattering from him. And here we have his son with just one companion, confident that God will save with a massive army, or in Jonathan's case, with no army at all. The good news is that this confident trust Jonathan has in God, it's not the only story we see in 1 Samuel. Fast forward a few chapters and we see another faithful servant of God standing before Philistines with just a sling and a stone. Both of these men knew that God is of infinite power. And we see this truth throughout the Bible, not just in 1 Samuel. We hear phrases like, is anything too hard for the Lord? I know you can do all things. With God, all things are possible. We believe in a powerful, mighty, strong God. The question this evening is, do you know that all things are possible with this God? And, well, if you don't know that here this evening, then you can't be able to put your trust fully in him. True faith in God is possible because we're assured that nothing can hinder him. Nothing restrains him. Nothing confines him. Therefore, if we know that all things are possible with God, then we can trust fully in God. And that's our next point this evening. Trust fully in God. And that's what we see Jonathan doing throughout this chapter. He's trusting fully in God. We've heard about his plan, but he goes on further in verse 8. He says, come on then. We will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign the Lord has given them into our hands. So they would climb up to the Philistine outpost, show themselves to the Philistines, and the reaction of the Philistines would um, determine whether God would work for them. So they showed themselves to the enemy, and the Philistines said, verse 11, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. And Jonathan took the Philistine dare as a sign of God's intentions. So they climbed up to where the Philistines were, and we see the hidden hand of God working so clearly here as two men defeated 20. But the story isn't over. Panic struck the army. The ground shook. It says, verse 15, it was panic sent by God. All as a result of the faith that Jonathan had in the Lord. And then the focus turns back to Saul. Saul is no longer sitting under the pomegranate tree. He's told of the commotion that Jonathan's involved in, and he's he's up, he's ready for action. He quickly wants to get the ark of God. Verse 18, he probably didn't want to march with it into battle because that hasn't worked out well in the past. Maybe he wants to seek guidance from God's. However, he quickly changes his mind, ditches the ark, and decides to go into battle instead. We see a man trying to lean on his own understanding and strength and power. And this echoes the previous chapter of a man who did not keep the command the Lord gave him. A leader of a kingdom that will not endure. 
So he's decided to march on the Philistines. He rallies his men. The rest of the army who ran away in the previous chapter, they're back in the game, and they're there for the victory. But we know that that's nothing to do with Saul's leadership. It's nothing to do with Jonathan's leadership. It's all to do with God. We see that God is intervening and working in this situation. But Saul doesn't have the trust that Jonathan does. In this grand finale to the action movie, we see the enemy fleeing over the hills, being chased by the Israelites. But at the cliffhanger end to this section, we cut to that black screen, you know, and the, and the white writing comes up, and you have to pause it to read what it says. And it, the narrator's comment comes up, verse 23. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved beyond Beth-Avon. This sums up this passage this evening. The Lord saved Israel. On that day, the Lord saved Israel. Not Saul, not Jonathan. The Lord. So our tagline from this was, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And we've seen that this is true. On the day, the Lord saved Israel. We see our hero, Jonathan, his leadership and trust in God highlight the failure of his father, the king. But I'm sure we all sympathize with Saul, right? We know how hard it is to fully put our trust in God. When it all goes wrong, what, what do we do? We lean on our own understanding, don't we? We try and fix it ourselves because that's just our human nature. When life seems bleak and when we can't see a way out, seldom our first response is to declare, how great is our God? With Saul, everything had gone wrong. His kingly line was rejected. He hadn't trusted God. The word of God had left. His men and his son had run away. And we see the response that Saul is supposed to have by way of Jonathan's actions. We see this great contrast throughout this passage. God is the only one with whom we can trust to do the impossible. With my God, anything is possible. With our God, anything is possible. But with this mindset, we need to have a full trust in God. <clears throat> we see that Jonathan has this trust in God. In, and in him, we see the kind of leader we really need. One who fully knows God's power, goodness, and wisdom. One who trusted in God's power to save, even to the point of death, Jesus we read in Philippians chapter 2, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Death on a cross that would rescue those who put their, their trust in him. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of this story. He's the one who fully puts his trust in God and also is the one who fully saves. By his resurrection, he conquers the power of death, showing that nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can truly proclaim that on that day, the Lord saved his people. His plan that was worked out in the person of his son, Jesus, was a plan that was focused on saving by one for many. Nothing can hinder our God from saving so from this passage, as the end credits roll on our action-packed movie, what is the thing that we're going to remember? Is it that we need to know more of who God is? If you don't know who God fully is, 
the extent to which he is all-powerful, then we can't put our trust fully in him. If you want to know him more, let him speak to you through his words. If our conviction is clear about who God is, it produces great expectation from God. Or is it maybe that our prayer life needs to be impacted? Are we praying to the God that Saul was after with the ark? Are we trying to learn our own understanding and the things that we feel safe doing? Or are we praying to the God that Jonathan puts his trust in, the God who saves by many or by few? Or maybe it's that you need to trust in the one who saves, maybe for the first time, or maybe the thousandth time, because nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. What do we need to trust him with? Our time, our money, our relationships, our stuff. We want to trust him with our whole lives, saying, Jesus, you surrendered your life for mine. Now I want to give you everything, because I know that nothing is impossible for you. I want to trust you with everything I am. Nothing can stop the Lord from saving by many or by few. Well, that draws the end to our series in 1 Samuel for the time being. And there's some questions going to come up on the screen. It might be on the table as well. Um, If you take a few minutes just to uh, discuss these questions and then pray afterwards.